0: Our scripture for this morning is Acts 6, 1-7. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers... These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: It's good to be together, open God's Word together. Um, today, we're continuing in a series called, that we call To the Church. And the idea is that we're just looking at gifts that God has given to us, that He's given to the church for our good, for our thriving, for His sake. And last week, Jonathan led us a well. I, I watched, we were on vacation and watched, and on a gift that God's given to the church is discipleship. And really just kind of practically looking at as we meet Jesus and walk with him, he gives us someone to walk with us. And someone who's maybe a little bit ahead of us, walked with him a little bit longer, who can actually teach us scripture and, and, and teach us what it's like to follow Jesus. And then that actually like as someone is pouring into us, that he's designed that we pour into someone else. And sometimes it's somebody that's like, man, I'm one day ahead of you. <laughs> uh, or, you know, in some ways you're ahead of me, but like you might be 20 years older than me and have a job that I wish to have one day. But as it relates to following Jesus, like, can I pour into you as this person is pouring into me? And for that being a gift that God has given to the church. And, um, and I wanna say too is that... Um, many do have relationships like this already. And some people use the phrase in some churches, everybody having a Paul and a Timothy. Because Paul poured into Timothy, and then Timothy was pouring into uh, to others. And, and really saying, like, maybe you have part of this. Maybe you have a Timothy, but you don't have a Paul. And just to know, like, we're, we're in this together and believing that all of us actually, like, God has given to the church that for you. And if you don't have that, like, we're all in to to help get there and and to see that. So you could talk to me or um, somebody in your community group or community group leader or a friend and just be like, how do I get that? I I think I don't want that, but I know I want that. (laughs) You know, it it might feel scary or risky and might just seem easier just to be unknown and just come and go. uh, But that's not what he's given to you for your good. And for today, what we're looking at is is I feel like equally as, and even maybe more so, this wouldn't make sense unless he taught us this way. When I just think of, of life and the American dream, um, it feels like it's going like, like, kind of like this way, and Jesus is giving something to me that feels different. And what that is, is giving to the church servants. Giving to the church servants. And I feel like we live in a cultural moment, and it's been like this for a long time, where the most gifted people, the most, the smartest people, the people who, who are able to achieve the most, the wisest people, it seems like, climb a ladder. Like we even talk in a business about climbing the ladder, and wow, they really are a rising star in our organization, are a rising star in the community and get the best jobs, have the best opportunities, have the best houses, um, up the ladder of success. And uh, we were on vacation. I saw a yacht. It was like a giant yacht going by. And I remember just, you know, all of these sinful thoughts in my heart as I'm watching this yacht that I'm not on. And uh, But I was just like, I will never have a yacht like that, <laughs> you know? And... Uh, and um, And just mindful of like we live in this world, and in so many ways, like the lesser people serve those people, and and those who are the those who are down here serve those who are up there. And what I love is that Jesus just delights to flip things upside down and uh, just be like, okay, let's talk real, the way that you actually are designed to live. And so Acts six is going to lead us into this. Acts six. Verse 1, because he wants us to have life, says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. So they're not just complaining, they're complaining against another group of people. Because the reason that this complaint against two people has blown up in this church is because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So we'll pause there because there's a ton of stuff just in these first few verses. So one thing that just is like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening is that the church in Jerusalem right now is being pastored, led, by all 12 of the disciples. Super rare, I mean like this is the only time this will ever happen in history and it's only gonna happen for a little bit. This is, you know if you went on this church's website, you would see the disciples. Judas has died and been replaced and all 12 of Jesus' disciples are leading the Jerusalem church. They're gonna be scattered and persecution is going to scatter them even in this chapter, in Acts chapter 6. But the focus this morning is not looking at that external persecution that's going to scatter the church, but is actually this danger inside of the church that is threatening to, to unravel this thing, that's threatening to uh, be a, a cancer inside of the church, eating the church from the inside out, um, connected to conflict, connected to injustice, which many of you have like this, I, one of my kids, justice, like, man, if their justice meter starts going off, it's, uh, you know, their superpowers start coming, coming out of them, and uh, I believe God has put that inside of some of our people for really powerful, beautiful reasons. Um, and what is cool about this church is many people are coming to Jesus. Many people are coming to Jesus, awesome things are happening, and in the middle of awesome things happening, people coming to Jesus, there's conflict, and there's a complaint that has been leveled, not against a person, but against a people group inside of the church. And so we got to kind of know what is happening here, and what is happening is that the the early church at least is made up of two different ethnic groups. There're two different ethnic groups that are meeting inside this church and they speak separate languages. So they're not you know they're not even able to to at least easily communicate with each other. They speak different languages, they eat different foods. They like different types of music. They eat, they dress in different ways. And one of the groups are called Hellenists. And who these people are are these are Jewish people. People who who their blood is Jewish. They they grew up following the Old Testament, Yahweh, but they speak Greek because what they did is they lived they, they at one time left Israel and lived in a different country where they learned a different language, learned a different way of living, and have returned to Jerusalem. So we have the Hellenists, and then we have the Hebrews who speak, um, well, they actually speak Aramaic predominantly, but then also know Hebrew as well. And so, so these two groups inside of the same church have all these differences, but what's really awesome, is that they have one thing in common. And maybe only one thing in common, which is true for some of us in this room too, is they have Jesus in common. That's why they're in the same room together, is that they've both met him. And Jesus is making them into one church. That's what he's doing. It'd be way easier if it was like, let's have a Hellenist church and a Hebrew church it be way easier. And Jesus is like, it wouldn't be better. It might be easier, but it wouldn't be better for you. And so in the middle of this, there's this cool ministry that the first church has. And the ministry is that there are widows who just can't provide for themselves. And the church, there's, there's this ministry where once a day they provide food for people in desperate places. And this is a huge blessing to those who need it. And looking into this, scholars actually believe that this church could have had a vastly disproportionate number of widows in the church compared to kind of your average number of widows. And one of the reasons that people believe is because there's Old Testament prophecy that the Messiah... So, so even if people don't believe that Jesus is the promised one from the Old Testament, they're still, if they reject Jesus, they're still believing a Messiah is coming. So even Old Testament Jews at this time who may not have met Jesus yet are still believing that a Messiah is coming and that he's returning over a Mount Zion, a mountain in Jerusalem. So what would happen is even if you hadn't met Jesus yet, but if you had followed the Old Testament God, is you would want to die in Jerusalem and be buried in Jerusalem awaiting the return of the Messiah. And so what people believe is happening is that elderly couples, many elderly couples have moved to Jerusalem to die there. And then as happens frequently, the guy dies first And there are all of these women who are widows in Jerusalem. And the church is like, we are moving towards them. We're going to care for them. Maybe this is how they meet Jesus, is by us caring for them. So in the middle of all of this, this conflict arises that actually only the Hebrew women, only the Hebrew widows were actually getting food and all of the Greek widows were not receiving anything. And it's not just that it was like, you know, a few people, but now all, that whole group of people inside the church are saying, like, you guys, like, what is wrong with you? Why are you doing this? And I just want to let you know this brings me comfort. Like, I'm, I'm, I wish that the Hellenist widows weren't suffering like they were. But what brings me comfort is this church is being led by the 12 disciples. And there are all of these Hellenist widows in their church, and the 12 disciples and their leadership missed it. But it's a great ministry. So what brings me comfort is that you can actually have a really good ministry of a church that really needs to get better. And the disciples, it's not like, here's the fight that happened among the disciples. Here's where everybody started pointing fingers and being like, this is your fault. No, this is your fault. You're so terrible, Thomas. How did you let this happen? It's a, instead, what I love that they do is they move towards each other, and they're like, we need to make this thing better. We need to make this ministry better, and we have ministries of sacred mission. We have a step study that I'm so encouraged about our community groups, our kids' church. Um, We have many ministries of our church, and every one of them needs to get better. (laughs) There's never been one time that I've been like, man, let's just let that thing just keep going. It is so great. You know, it's like, God, thank you for these ministries where you're allowing us to push back darkness. You're allowing us to, to love each other and serve each other and walk together and All of these need to get better. And so I love here that what the disciples do, just in these first few verses too, is they not only like, hey, let's fix this. They're like, we need to have a family meeting. And they call the whole church, everybody assemble. We all need to get together because these women are not, they're not these low people in society. Like God's heart is for these women, our heart is needs to be for the women, whether we're Hellenists or Hebrews, everybody, we need to get together. We need God to show us how to move forward here. And I love the clarity of the 12 disciples. They say, it's not right for the 12 of us to just go and do this thing. We need to keep praying. We need to keep ministering the word of God. In no way are they saying, like, this is below us. But they're saying, we are just normal people. And we can't be everywhere, we can't do everything in the life of the church, and there's probably people who in our body, they're actually even like, better to step into this Then what the 12 disciples say, verses 3 through 4, I feel like is awesome. Look at verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And I just feel like this is so upside down. What what they're really saying is like, who are our best? Now that can be taken in a negative way, but it's like, hey, who among us would we typically send to the top? Who among us have, been, have met with Jesus, walked with Jesus, been changed by Jesus? We've seen the Holy Spirit moving in them in a way that God is giving them wisdom that they wouldn't have in themselves. That God, we see power of God coming from them and from, from them stepping into things. And instead of us having them rise, let's have them go down. And this is such a counter cultural just reality is that it's actually when we lower ourselves that we rise up. It's when we actually die to ourselves that we find life. It's in giving our best to serve the least, giving our best to serve the least that Jesus' way advances. And I think in a big picture, When we come up to Jesus and we're like, here's my life. And when we give our lives to Jesus, we actually find our life is what he teaches us. And you'd be like, that doesn't make sense. You just gave it away. And it's like, well, I didn't give it away. I gave it to the only one who actually can give me life when I give my life to him. And so often we're like, no, I need to control that sucker. That's my life. I'm going to control it. I'm going to be in charge. I'm going to be the captain of my soul. The, I'm going to direct the fate of my life. And it's like, hey, who among you have given their lives to Jesus so that he can actually give you life? And seeing his church functioning, his church shining, his church loving God, loving people, pushing back darkness... And the disciples like, we're going to keep devoting ourselves to prayer. We're going to keep devoting ourselves to the ministry of the word. These men will need wisdom to know how to care for people. All these men likely have full-time jobs. So they're going to have to have a great deal of wisdom of how to not daily. You know, this isn't just like a, hey, f- figure it out, make the changes that need to be made, and then push play. It's like, no, they're committing to every day finding women, coming around these women, helping them. They're going to need great wisdom to know how to balance their lives to be able to help these widows consistently serve them. Then verse 5, what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Permenus and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And I love just seeing, too, how seriously the church is taking a, a group of people who so often, even in our day, are overlooked, are not cared for, are neglected, are like, well, hey, I'm just, I'm just going with the movers and the shakers. You know, that's who I care about. And they're not moving towards the least of these. And I, feel, and I love just how the church is like, with the power of God, let's serve these people. And what's interesting is every one of these seven people have Greek names. So both the Hebrews and the Hellenists have raised, so they're trying to help the Hellenists, the Greeks. And so the church chooses seven Greek men who are actually going to know the culture Know the language, understand, and actually know the people. Be like, "Oh, that's my cousin's brother's, you know, stepdaughter's grandmother." Or I don't even know if that's possible. What did I just put together. I just that might I might have made no sense there. But um, you know, they actually knew those those inner relations and and could understand to actually be able to be empowered by the spirit and to be in their story. And we don't hear how it went. We don't hear how the Spirit led these men to serve. We don't know details of what the ministry looked like. We don't, we don't see their plan of action. Um, we, we, we don't know these things. Um, and we also probably think that it wasn't just the seven, but that these men actually led the church to serve. These were lead servers, lead servants, of the church not to do just do the work but to lead the church in doing what god was calling them to do to shine this will become the office of deacon later in the church deacons are an office in the church alongside the office of elder where people are raised up to lead the church to go down lead the church in serving our church our community being a light pushing back darkness, and we don't know how the ministry went, but we know how the church went. On the precipice of a conflict that would take inner fighting to the point where the church probably doesn't shine very brightly in that moment. And as these people are stepping in this role, I love what happens next in the church, verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So the church flourishes. The word proclaimed by the 12 disciples is taking root. So so we know the 12 disciples are continuing to pray and minister the word of God, and we know that that's fruitful. But also the word of God is being proclaimed with a cup of water. The word of God is being proclaimed through the love and the sacrificial service of the church, being changed by Jesus to actually go down instead of make a kingdom of ourselves. And um, I love that those who are needing to be served are being met in the church. And the number of disciples is multiplying greatly then it's it's so fascinating that we're told even a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So these are people in the temple in Jerusalem who had been between God and and, and men and women and had been doing sacrifices. And what a lot of people believe is that there are all sorts of different levels of priests. So like Pharisees were kind of high-level priests, but there are a lot of like low-level priests. And some people even think that there were maybe 8,000 low-level priests in Jerusalem at this time and believe that they were really poor. That, so that there were many priests who were very impoverished who were watching the church and actually seeing the reality of Jesus being the last sacrifice, that their role was no longer needed, because Jesus gave that sacrifice, and for them to see the love of people sacrificing themselves because they had received the sacrifice, and then for the priest to be like, can we get in on this? <laughs> can we follow this as well? Um, I love that this church is just following desperation in the community, and Jesus is building his church. And conflict was actually met by people going down instead of lifting themselves up, and it is Jesus. Like, if you're like, who does this remind me of? This is Jesus. This is the DNA of him. He teaches us, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve you, give my life as a ransom to you. He is the one that's most deserving us serving him, and he serves us. Um, he, he teaches us here, hey, I'm, I'm not letting you serve me, but the reality is we serve him. So what I love is that Jesus is the ultimate example of both him serving us, but then us serving him. And he receives that. Like, that's what gives us life, right? And what I've realized is, like, there are, uh, there are many people in our church who actually just naturally, you're a servant. Like, naturally, you serve people. You're, you're never wanting to receive recognition. You, you're, you're loving being behind the scenes. You're serving people, and it's beautiful, and it's powerful, and it's a gift to us. And then when God actually gifts you to with a supernatural service, it, it just multiplies from there. But you're really bad at, at receiving service. You, you don't want to let people serve you. And actually coming to Jesus like and him empowering you and changing you like for you, huge growth in our church is gonna be letting people serve you. You know, just as like a Paul discipling you, be like, yes, I'm able to serve, but like, I I, I need help. (laughs) I I need people to help me too. And for us to be a church of servants because we're following him. Then for others, I think more naturally, as I'm wishing I had a yacht and a whole boat full of staff, to um, do my every whim or whatever, um, being served just feels like feels right, <laughs> um, but doesn't give us life. I mean, those of you who have like gone on cruises and stuff, where like you're just you're you know people are like wanting that massive tip at the end, so they'll do anything that you desire. You know, like you might love it for a while, but after a while, it kind of starts feeling gross. You know, it's like, I'm not the king of the universe even though I feel like it right now and I'm paying you to make me feel like it. Um, But really for us to realize like God's gift to us and to the church is that we would actually serve. And sometimes it's in your dark moments where you're like, hey, I really, really, really need help and you need to be served. And also like in those moments like, just to be able to serve people can be a gift to be like, hey, I, this is good for my soul, to follow Jesus in serving others. How great if we have a DNA as a church that God is gifting us, a church full of people who are of good repute because of what he's doing in our lives, who are full of the Spirit's power because he's act- God is actually wanting to see this happen. So he's wanting to make those changes in our life so we can do these things, giving us wisdom. And with that, we're moving towards the desperate. We're moving towards the tired. We're moving towards the discouraged of our church, of our community. We're going to darkness with light. We're serving and being served. And that is relationship that's happening in our church. And what that forms is a light. (laughs) Light. It's a lighthouse in our community of people who aren't like stabbing each other in the back, but are actually serving each other and being served by each other because of the one we're following, and we're helping pull the knives out of each other's back. It'd be like, and I'd be like, hey, can I? Sorry, <laughs> can I come and repent and um, be changed because this is not who he wants me to be, and I want to be who he wants me to be. So, what communion is, is us receiving. Jesus serving us him being like hey i want to give you my presence i want to give you my body that was lived in your place i want to give you my blood that was shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins i want you to feast on my grace i want you to feast on my presence i want to would you let me serve you knowing that It'll be your joy then to serve others, pour yourself out to others, because Jesus is pouring into you. So Lord, would you allow us to meet with you right now? Would you allow us to experience your presence? Would you allow us to be served by you? Would you empower us to actually be able to sense you, to hear you? Lord, for those in the room who have never let you serve them, they've always been in charge even of their relationship with you. Um, Lord, would they receive your gift of salvation? Would they receive all, all that we sang about, all the, the truth of that relationship with you that might have felt foreign moments ago would feel like home today? Right now, as we receive you, Jesus, would you give us the ability and the power to do that? In your name we pray. Amen. So, the, the way that we uh, commune with Him here, uh, our friends the Ballards are going to be serving us, and let's just spend some moments looking to Him, hearing Him, receiving Him. Uh, then we'll come down at the center, they'll serve us the bread, wine, or juice, obey your conscience. Uh, then uh, we'll go back into our seats, remain standing and all lead us through taking it together as family. And if you don't know where you're at with Jesus, like just use this as a moment to, to, to receive and to maybe talk to him. And people around you or me, I'd love to talk with you either now or in a little bit after the service. And um, um, he wants us, he, he truly wants all of us to come to him, He says, come to me. I will give you life. It's the only prayer that that I'm aware of in scripture that he says yes every time, which is everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When you say, I'm receiving you, he's like, yes. That's a yes, the yes is on the table. So let's, let's boldly come to him.